This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. God started kind of speaking to me on this topic a couple weeks ago. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if I think well, most of you guys know this, but Mona was robbed at gunpoint on November 30th of this year. So, uh, and it was traumatizing, it was horrible, and the people that robbed her, they stole our car. And from that point on, they took our car and went joyriding, and we got when the police finally found it, it was filled with bolt holes and all that stuff. Really scary. Um, and from that point on, we, after we got it settled with our insurance and everything, I was kind of getting over the emotional aspect of it. A couple weeks ago, I got a letter in the mail saying that my license was now, driver's license was now suspended. And I'm like, what? It says, you have this many tickets, uh, blown red lights and, sp- and those, those speeding tickets that the cameras get you on in the city of Chicago. It was completely crooked. <laughs> so, so there's just all these tickets. I'm like, I don't even drive in Chicago. So I ended up looking up, and they all d- happened after my car was stolen and before my car was recovered. So these people, after they stole Mona's car, robbed her, and they took her car, which is in my name, got a bunch of tickets, and because they got a bunch of tickets in Chicago, the state of Chicago contacted the state of Illinois and said, suspend this license. So my license was about ready to be suspended. So I call in, and I'm like, listen, it, uh, this is not the case. You know, they, that, I didn't even have the car there. I have a police report that says that. I, I go through this whole deal. And uh, I probably called 15 different departments because everyone wanted to transfer me to a different department. Anybody who's called the city of Chicago knows how that is. And uh, so finally I get to someone. They say, okay, just send us a copy of your, send us a copy of your police report and, and you'll be good. This was right before I was leaving for Canada. And I was like, okay, cool. So I sent it to them. I said, did you receive it? Yeah, we received it. You're good. So I go to Canada, I come back, I have a message on my desk from Laura. It says, someone called, called me about the tickets. I call and they say, yeah, we can't accept your police report. And I'm like, why can't you accept my police report? Well, the police didn't put uh, a day, the date that your car was recovered, so we have no proof that, um, that you were not driving the car. I said, well, they're video uh, things, and if you look on there, I'm clearly a white man, and the particular gentleman who stole our car was a black man. So, so, and so they said, no, it doesn't matter who was driving your car. So I go on, and I'm calling department to department to department to department to department, trying to fight for this, trying to get, get this. Meanwhile, we're coming up, like, in two days, we're about to drive down to, on our vacation to Savannah to be, meet our birth mother, um, which we did this past weekend. It was awesome. Thanks for all your prayers. Um, so... I'm freaking out because now my license, they're saying, your license is suspended. So now my license is suspended. I'm calling around. I'm so frustrated. I'm in my office, and uh, I felt bad for Laura that day because Laura is outside my office hearing me yell and scream on the phone, and I was so mad and heated. And at one point, she came in and wrote something on, on, on a note and told and she was getting in on it. She wrote something on a note and said, here, tell them this. <laughs> so... So I'm so mad and fuming, 
And uh, so then they told me, you got to drive down to the police department, police station on Michigan Avenue in the city. Anybody know where that's at? One on Michigan Avenue? Um, so I'm driving down there on a suspended license. And, and uh, I drive down there, wait in line for almost two hours to finally get the document that I need uh, that they lost, apparently, and had to find in the, someone's, the corner of someone's desk or whatever. And I get there. I call up the person and say, listen, I got the document. And she goes, oh, no, a detective already called on your behalf, and we already got it worked out. <laughs> your license isn't suspended. You're, you're good to go. And I was like, I, I was so stinking, I was satisfied. At the same time, I was so stinking mad, man. I was fuming. And, uh, and since then, God has been working on me with, about my anger. So, so. So since then, I, I just so happened to, to start, I was going to start, uh, a, uh, that's kind of what I look like. So I just so happened to, to, I was starting in my devotions to go through the Sermon of the Mount. One of my favorite things to do sometimes is to go back and to, to go look at the words that Jesus said. Anybody like to do this? And uh, what's known as possibly the greatest sermon ever spoken is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus uh, comes up and he and he gives us the list of beatitudes and and then he he go after the beatitudes he goes into a couple extreme statements extreme statements that challenge the way that that the Israelites in the Hebrew and even the way that we think and obviously the one that was on my mind was about murder and so I'm going to read that scripture okay these are Jesus' thoughts on anger says, you have heard it said, of those, said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to, to the hell of fire. Uh, and it, actually in the Greek it says raka, which is like a curse. So think of any curse that you've said to a driver driving by you, and that's what it, what it represents. Um, uh, you fool will be liable to the hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember you that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Let's pray real quick. God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you as you've been, uh, your spirit's just been speaking tonight, Lord God, about uh, who you are and, and what you do in our life, Lord God that you are so active, and I just thank you for that. I pray, Lord God, that this message, Lord God, that we would leave here with it bringing, drawing us closer to you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so when I, when I read the scripture again, probably read the scripture a thousand times, um, I was kind of taken back because I'm just coming out of the situation where I was so angry, and it says that even if anyone is angry with their brother, they'll be liable to judgment. And it kind of struck me because how many of you guys get angry with anybody around you? How many of you, you, how many of you could say you get angry every day? I'll even extend it. Anger, frustration, they're kind of the same thing. How many of you get frustrated every single day? I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I, I work at CLC where, and I, most of the time I'm using a computer, 
And it's just the rule of life that God put in motion that nothing that is computer-related works at Christian Life Center. And <laughs> so um, I, I get frustrated all the time. And, and I get angry uh, a lot. And so I'm kind of struck by this because I'm, I'm wondering, am I sinning every time I get angry? Am I sinning every time, uh, even, even if it's justified, am I sinning? Am I causing division between myself and God every, ta- every time someone cuts me off on, or, or every time traffic is jammed up on 55? It, it, is that anger causing division between me and God? Is anger a sin? And so I, I went through, I looked through the Bible, and there's a lot, whole lot of anger in the Bible. And one of the main people who gets angry in the Bible, one of the main people who gets angry in the Bible is God. Okay? So, God gets angry. Can you put that up there? It's the next slide. Sorry, whoever's... Alex, I have a lot of slides today. I know, I threw, kind of threw that on you. God gets angry. Okay. So, if you look at Psalm 711, you don't got to turn there. I'll just take my word for it. It says that God is, this is speaking about the, right, or about the wicked. And it says, God is a righteous judge and, God, and a God who feels indignation every day. That means God feels anger towards the wicked every day. So this isn't something that, you know, God rarely gets kind of, you know, he just gets flustered and, and, and he gets angry every once in a while. Every single day, God gets angry at the wicked. The next one is 1 Kings 11.9. During this time here in, in 1 Kings, uh, Solomon had just built a high place for, um, for a Baal and uh, and, and is, was worshiping foreign gods in the nation of Israel. And it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this very thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. And that infuriated God. To the point we're following this verse, he goes on to say that I'm going to strip your kingdom from you. Before this, you were going to be, your line was going to go forever, as, long, as far as you could go. But because you've done this, and I'm so angered, this scripture shows that God acted out of his anger. And he, and, and he says, I am willing, I'm going to take this from you because of this. 2 Kings 17, 18 says, Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. Uh, this, so this scripture takes place when, uh, once again, Israel is worshiping other gods. And it infuriates God. It angers God. And because of his anger, he removes them from his sight. Again, God acting on his anger. You say that's Old Testament, though. God was always angry in the Old Testament. There's always judgment in the Old Testament, right? We always hear about there's two gods. There's the loving God of the New Testament, and there's the scary, mean God of the Old Testament. 
But if you turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus, who is dealing with the, the Pharisees uh, on, the, on the day of the Sabbath, he's approached by, um, by a man who needs to be healed, and all the Pharisees are watching him to see if he heals this guy on the Sabbath, which according to them was unlawful. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus here is so frustrated, so angry at the, at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It gets a rise out of him. At, at only very few times does it say that Jesus got angry. And he looked at them with anger. Could you imagine what it looked like with Jesus looking at you with anger? Whew. But that's not all. But wait, there's more. It says in John chapter 2, verse 13. This is the one that you probably all thought of. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them out, all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Do you think that Jesus came up and he said, Guys, come on, oxen. Come on, chickens and all these little things. Get out of the temple. Go ahead, get out of the temple, you rascals. You think that's what Jesus was saying? No, he was probably ticked off. And he's, he's like, anybody have, when you were a kid, your parents would look for stuff to hit you with. Right? Like when they were mad, they would just start looking for, like, get, I need to get my belt. I need to get something. Did, right? Anybody been there? Okay, okay. Not so much me, but my sister. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Jesus is, is so angry in this moment that he just starts fastening a whip. He didn't, like, have a whip near him. He just starts, he's so mad, he starts making a whip. If, you saw your, if you've seen your parent do that, you know. They're angry if they're doing that. The last one, and most people don't think about this one. Mark chapter 14, verse 37. Jesus is in the garden praying. And he comes out and it says, And then he came out and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes away and prays and comes back and he finds him sleeping again. And they didn't even know what to say to him at that point. Then he goes away to pray, comes back again, and he says, are you still sleeping? Do you think Jesus was, was angry in that moment? Do you think he was frustrated? I told you to do this and you didn't do it. I gave you three opportunities to do it and you're still sleeping. What is going on? Could you imagine? Anybody, uh, anybody a supervisor over any employees? Anybody? Yeah? Could you imagine telling the person that you are supervising, hey, I need you to go do this? Actually, I bet you, you can't imagine because it probably happens all the time. Imagine telling them, go do this. They didn't, you come back, they didn't do it. 
go do this, come back, they do it, don't do it. And a third time you say, go, go do this, you come back, they still haven't do it, haven't done it. What would happen? They get fired. Jesus is so upset in this moment. So if God is angry, and God even acts, upon, acts in his anger, and if Jesus is angry multiple times, then anger can't be sin. Anger alone cannot be sin, despite what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that Matthew 5 is a contradiction to that, because I'm going to explore that in a second, and we're going we're to figure that out on our own here. Anger alone can't be sin. There has to be a distinction to, between something that has made a righteous anger and something that has made an unrighteous anger, right? You've probably heard that thrown around uh, a ton, but we're going to dig into that. Righteous anger, what characterizes righteous anger? In order to figure this out, we're going to look at two instances. The first one, I want you to turn to this one. 1 Kings 11, chapter 7 through 9. This is that Solomon scripture I was telling you about earlier. So Solomon is, is, puts up these high places. God's so mad at him. It says, I believe the scripture, or the verse, in verse 8, it says that uh, God was uh, pushed to anger, or I can't remember how they, they, uh, the verbiage there is. But starting at verse 9, it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. So Solomon is worshiping other gods, and God is, is angry because of this. What is the thing that pushes God to anger here? Not listening to God, okay? God gave them a command. They didn't follow through with it. That would be a sin. You're right. So God is angry. Solomon, uh, uh, he gave him a command. He didn't follow through with it. What else? What is, what is making God angry? Worshiping other gods. That's a direct violation of the command that, that, of one of the Ten Commandments that God has already given. What else? Any other things? The attitude. Absolutely. Solomon does this despite having God already meeting him twice. That's blatant rebellion. The second instance we're going to look at here is that Mark 3, chapter 3, verse 4 scripture. Jesus says, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around with them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So Jesus is angry here. What is causing Jesus' anger? Disbelief? A hardness of heart? Yep. Anybody else? Hypocrisy. Absolutely. If you don't know anything, uh, don't know very much about, about how the Pharisees viewed the Sabbath, there was other things that the Pharisees viewed uh, uh, thought of the Sabbath that you could do. The reason why Jesus says, says to save a life or to kill is because what the one thing that they would do on the Sabbath is they would offer sacrifices. 
And so because they, so he, he's bringing this up saying, you're willing to do the work in order to kill an animal to offer sacrifice, but you're getting on me because I want to save a life. So the hypocrisy in the Pharisees' Pharisees' statement, and the crazy thing, later on in the scripture it talks about how Jesus Jesus knew the hearts of all the people around him. That's a scary thing, man. So even they could be put on a front and Jesus knows their heart. And so he knows that the Pharisees are hypocritical here. They're they're, They're watching and waiting for him to mess up. That angers him. That they're so hard in their heart that they don't want to see this man healed because of tradition. Anything else? Anything else that made Jesus angry in here? I think another thing is that, that makes him angry here is that he was, the Pharisees were, were prioritizing man-made traditions over God's laws. See, the, the way that the Pharisees viewed the Sabbath was completely man-made. God did, did put the Sabbath in, mo, in place, but the Pharisees made it into their own thing, which was contrary to what God wanted. We see a lot in, of that in our culture. Uh, God making something and our culture taking it and warping it into something that's not what God intended. So righteous anger involves something or someone who is directly defying or tainting the word of God. I think it can be summed up in that. In both of those instances, Solomon was defying the word of God, defying the commands of God. And Mark, the Pharisees were tainting the word of God. And both of those things drew the, uh, uh, Jesus and God to be angry. And we see that, again, a lot in our society. We're told now what the Bible says is not necessarily true, that it's a wrong interpretation, right? How, how much do you hear of that going around? How many times do you see the, 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 the scriptures in the Bible taken and used out of context or, you, or misquoted or used to push the, the, the um, regime or, or, or whatever of, of, of the world? I see that all the time. Yeah. I see, I, see it, I see a lot that, that happen over and over and over again. Uh, the biggest one is, is the 1 Corinthians passage on love. That gets way, totally abused and taken out of context. And when we see that, that should anger you. When you see someone taking the word of God, and even, even in their life, saying, this is what the, 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 the word of God mean, uh, means to me, it may not mean the same to you, but this is what it means to me. And it's completely contrary to what God was saying. That should anger you. You should be frustrated with that. You should be frustrated when your kids are turning from God. You should be angry about that. When you see injustice in our world, you should be angry about that. When you see little kids being abused, or, or, or the innocent being shot, that should anger you. You should be frustrated with that. Because we see God and we see Jesus both getting frustrated with stuff that is contrary to the heart of God.
the in Galatians it says in Galatians 1 7 and 8 it says not that there not that there is is another or these people are turning uh, turning the grace of Christ and turning into a different gospel not that there is another one but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you let him be accursed and Paul is saying here that there is one gospel, one truth. It never changes. It is absolute. And even if he himself, who originally taught that to you, comes back and says, hey guys, this, it's not, that's not what it is. He should be cursed. Even if an angel from heaven comes down and says something to you, it's not what, you origi- what is in the scripture. They should be cursed. That's powerful. There is one truth. A lot of times we see that it's not just with, with the world abusing Scripture. A lot of times it, we, it's, it's the wolf in sheep's clothing that's abusing, abusing Scripture and teaching stuff that's wrong. We have to be aware of that, and that should anger you. There's a lot of people on, on, on television that are not necessarily preaching the gospel. But any gospel, what does he say here? Any gospel that is different than the one that we are, that we are, is contrary to the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed. That should anger you. So, again, righteous anger has to do with you're distorting, you are defying God's word and God's character and who God is. The other side of that is unrighteous anger. So what, what uh, makes something unrighteous anger? To look at that, we're going to look at Galatians, or I'm sorry, Genesis 4, 5 through 8. We have a lot of scriptures today. It says, But but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. For Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will not be will you not be accepted? And if you do not will, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were out in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Cain was angry because he tried to, to kind of shortcut his offering. But when his, his shortcut offering was compared to his brother who did it the right way, God didn't look on him with, with favor. He looked on Abel with favor. And that made, that made uh, Cain angry. So what was making him angry was one of many things. Pride was huge. The fact that he got caught bothered him. The fact that his goody-two-shoes brother was getting praised over here bothered him. His pride was hurt. He was so angry about that, and it drove him to murder his own brother. Another, another uh, uh, scripture here that we're going to look at is Jonah 4, 1 through 4. If you want through all these scriptures here, I'll give them to you after, after service. It says, But it, pleased Jonah, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord, Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said was what I what I what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you, do you do well to be angry? Jonah here, I'm sure you guys know the story of Jonah. He doesn't want to go because the Assyrians are, uh, are, are a miserable people. If you've seen the, the, the VeggieTales thing, they're just slapping people with fish, right? They're, they're a bad people. And for years, for years, they were abusing the people of Israel. So Jonah is just, he does not like them. He's upset. He hates these people. And he doesn't want to, he knows if he goes there and he preaches to them that they're, they're going to turn to God. If he goes to Nineveh and preaches to those filthy people, they're going to turn to God. And he doesn't want to see that. He wants to see them punished. He wants to see God you know, rain down, down hellfire and brimstone upon them. But he goes, and, and afterwards, he's so angry that God, he's angry that, that God would follow the will of God. That God would save a life, right? What angers Jonah, again, comes from pride. It comes from everything that's not of God. It comes from hate for, for a particular people. It comes from, from well, in a sense, racism. It comes from rebellion. It comes from everything that's not of God. Unrighteous anger always comes from a, a place of pride. It comes from a place of impatience. Or it comes from a place of wickedness. Always. When I was angry on the phone... I was, and, and I was just letting the, pre, the people on the phone have it. I was not holding back. I completely fleshed out. There was nothing holy about that. There was nothing Christ-like about that. I was not upset because they had, uh, they had defied my God. I was upset because suddenly my, my day became a little bit longer. Suddenly, I had to set down what I was doing in order to handle this, and I was frustrated with that. And I, I let loose. Unrighteous anger is everything that, that isn't God. Unrighteous anger leads to a, a, a number of things. These are them. Go to, go to the next slide. Okay, unrighteous anger leads to murder. As we saw in, in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, the reason why Jesus was speaking, it talks about anger leading to, to, to murder, in, in, or compares murder and anger in, in Matthew 5, is because he knows at the heart of every murder, it starts with anger. Anger at the world, anger at your school, anger at another race, anger at another culture. That anger breeds, uh, eventually will flush out into murder, if left unchecked. 
Next thing, it leads to, to, it leads to evil. Psalm 37, 8 says that, says that a, a, a quick temper leads to evil and that God always destroys the evil. So it leads to evil and eventually leads to destruction. Proverbs 15.8 says that it stirs up conflict and stirs up division. It says that if you are an angry man, you will create strife. You will create conflict. If you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what, I'm constantly fighting with people. Look at your, look at, you might want to take a look inside and look at, at, your, at the anger in your life. It may not even be towards a, a particular person. But if you're just angry in general, you're going to have conflict with people. And you're going to have disunity. Conflict always breeds disunity, right? If me and Alex get into a fight, I'm angry. I come in hot-headed one day. Say, I go to, a, I go to Lucky Dog. They put ketchup on my hot dog. I'm really mad. That's just not how it should be. I come in. I'm frustrated. Alex says, Hey, hey, Pastor Seth, uh, I, need, I need music for this. And I say, darn it, Alex. I told you a million times that this is where the music is, blah, blah, blah. He, get, he says, you know, I don't like your tone. We get in this big old fight. Now there's division there. Now he may not come back to our church. May not, not, now uh, we may never uh, play music together and worship the Lord together again. Because of ketchup. Anger leads to division in your household. It leads to division in your life. And it will lead to division in our church if we let it. But we're not going to let it, right? Proverbs 29, 29, 22 says that anger causes you, or it says that anger leads to the creation of transgressions. Meaning, that if you're an angry person, you're not, just, you're not just sinning yourself. You're creating other people's sin. If I'm upset because I didn't have ketchup on my hot dog, and I, I, or I had ketchup on my hot dog, and I blow up on Alex, suddenly he's ticked off. He goes in, he gets mad. He loses his cool. He flushes out, goes off on me. Now suddenly my anger has caused him to sin. You're having a bad day. You, you maybe got some bad news at work and you're just trying to get home. You cut, off, cut, cut someone off. They come around, come around flying around the side of you. You both roll on your windows and you have added both of you guys together. And you probably both have a fish on the back of your car. And you're both going to town. Now, out of your anger, out of your frustration, you caused another person to sin. To sin. And in the meantime, you blew your witness to everybody that was looking at your bumper. Anger, anger creates transgressions in other people. Very few things can do that. Proverbs 14, 16 says that anger, unrighteous anger here, it makes you do foolish things. How many of you have ever been so mad you've done something really stupid? Come on, everybody's hands got to be up. If anybody, who, anybody have a teenage boy or at one time had a teenage boy, okay, how many holes were in their room because they punched a wall or, or, or punched something, right? For some reason, teenage boys just, 
and I was one of them, we just, you just want to punch stuff when you're angry. And it, as much as it hurts you, and I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You do foolish things, and that's just when you're a teenage boy. When you're an adult, and, and if you're a man, you're, your wife does something to irritate you, and she's irritating you and irritating you and irritating you, and now you're so angry with her, you go off, you get drunk, and suddenly you go home with, a person, with another girl at the bar, and now you've disrupted and destroyed your marriage. You've done something foolish because you're angry. James 1, 1, verse 20. I'm going to read that to you. It says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Another translation, it says, The anger of man can never lead to the righteousness of God. If we want to come to church and to worship God with everything we have, if we want to sing before the Lord, if I want to come up and play my guitar as much as, as best as I can before the Lord, but I have anger in my heart, there's no way that I can be righteous before God. There's absolutely no way. Anger is something that we have to deal with in the church. Now, the problem with sorting out anger into unrighteous and righteous anger is that any anger, whether righteous or unrighteous, can eventually become sin. I read an awesome quote this week. It says, I'm going to put it up there. It says, wise anger is like fire from the flint. There is a great ado to bring it out, and when it does come out, it is out again immediately. By Matthew Henry. Anybody ever used a flint knife? No. No Boy, Boy Scouts? Nothing? Oh, Ray, you got Jim. No, you didn't. You're a liar. I was joking. <laughs> so so uh, the way a flint knife works is when you're, when you're building a fire using flint, you take a little uh, a flint and you put it on a bunch of, a little, a bunch of sticks, and it's highly flammable, um, but it comes off in a spark. So you build like, your little uh, mound of sticks. It's real small. And you have to go through a lot of work finding dry sticks, building the, the right perfect pile that's going to have enough air underneath that's going to be able to catch that flame. And then all at once you strike a stone with your, with your knife and it shoots a spark onto that little stack and starts the fire. We're not talking with matches. We're talking one giant motion, smack, and it shoots off the, the, the spark and lights that, that small little fire. It takes a lot to start a fire. You could be sitting there for hours going, snap, snap, snap. It's not, it's not, it, it takes a lot to do that. And what he's saying here is that if the way you should deal with your anger, because you're going to deal with anger, the way you should deal with your anger is that it should take a whole lot to bring it out of you. It should take something, it's, you know, you stubbing your toe isn't a reason for you to be mad the rest of the day. It should take a whole lot. It should take the, the defying of God or, or the, the, you know, 
getting your car stolen or being robbed, that, that those, it should take a whole lot to get you angry. But when you get angry, you should go, your anger should immediately go out after you get, if you get that rise in you. I thought this was really interesting because I never really thought about that. And when I went back and looked at the scriptures where Jesus got angry, it was really, really interesting. See, Jesus had a special way of being provoked to anger and then letting it go. Immediately, letting it go so he could continue doing the will of the Father. In John chapter 2, where we saw Jesus driving people, money changers out out of the temple, fasting a whip, he's so angry. Immediately after that, in John 3, we get John 3.16 and John 3.17, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He starts immediately teaching again. He drives these people out. He's so upset. And then immediately he goes back and starts teaching. He could have been so upset. He could have had a three-day sermon series at the, on the, 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 the footsteps of, of the temple saying why you shouldn't be t- turning into, into uh, money changers, why you shouldn't be selling things in, in the temple. He could have done that. He could have been so angry and, done, and did that, but he dropped it and immediately started teaching because he wanted to stay in, in line with the will of the Father. It took a whole lot to get it out of him, and when it did, it immediately ceased. In Mark 3, 4 and 5, when he's, he's arguing with the, with the Pharisees, he could have, if it were me, and I could see the heart of people, and I could see they're all hypocrites, and they're all judging me, all stuff like that, I would be like, time out. Hey, buddy with the, with the, with the weird hand that needs healing, go sit there, I'll get to you at the end of the service. Today I'm talking about hypocrisy. You know what I mean? I would, I would jump in on that, and I would give a, a long Stern teaching, and I would feel like that was the right thing to go, the right thing to do. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus gets angry, but then immediately goes, his anger ceases, and he goes back to doing the will of the Father. He heals the man's hand, and then goes from there and starts teaching again. That's incredible. That he, it took a whole lot, all this hypocrisy, all these things to get to, to get a rise out of Jesus, to look at them with anger. And then he drops it and goes and does ministry. That's that's incredible. In Mark 14, Jesus is upset about his his disciples sleeping. And immediately after that, that, what happens? He gets met in the garden by, by his betrayer. And he's arrested. And instead of fighting back, because you may, if I were so, if I was that mad coming off as, why can't you do this? Why can't you do this? And then I'll, all these people are, sudden people are coming to arrest me, I would be, if I had Jesus powers, I would just be plowing people over. Right? I imagine Jesus having some kind of cool power where he could like shoot stuff out of his hand. And if I were Jesus, I would have done that. I would have been so mad. But instead he goes, he goes peacefully. Because it's the will of the Father. He needed to do the work. It was God's plan. He was so angry, but yet, immediately, even to the point where he tells Peter, the one who, the, who totally screwed up, hey dude, calm down. And he goes and heals the guy's ear, right? Right? 
that Jesus' ability to immediately calm down is something that is rarely seen in any of us. The ability to, yes, you're going to get angry. Yes, you're going to get worked up. Yes, you're going to get frustrated. But to immediately quench it and to go back to, to, to set it aside so that you can do the will of the Father. That, that is the key to God moving on this earth. Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 that we read originally was extreme because he knew what unchecked anger could lead to. Anger, whether righteous or not, leads to sin. His anger was righteous when, when, his, when, his, uh, when he told the disciples to do something and they didn't do it. But it, it would have immediately turned unrighteous if he would have turned around and started blasting people with his Jesus powers. He, he could, his anger was righteous at the temple. But if he would have done something in that moment, gone, started uh, uh, taking it to a different level, and, and ignored the will of the Father to heal that man in that moment, suddenly his righteous anger becomes unrighteous. Because remember, righteous anger has to be following the will of God. Righteous anger has to be about the Father's plans, the Father's words, the Father's works. And the moment that we get off of that road, our, our righteous anger suddenly becomes just anger. And Paul taught in Ephesians 4.26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anger always opens the door to sin. If you're sitting there, if someone does something, you're so angry, and you just sit there and kind of let it steep, it's going to lead to sin. You know, Paul, note again, Paul doesn't say, if you get angry. He says, don't let your anger, because it's something that happens. You are going to get angry. We'll probably get angry every day. But the key, as we see in the life of Jesus, is the, be able, is the ability to let that go. Like Paul says, to not let the sun go down on your anger. The longer that we let that sit with us, the longer that we let an offense sit with us, the longer that we, that we let um, whatever is causing our anger to sit with us, righteous or not, is the, more, is the bigger chance that the devil is going to get a foothold. And suddenly your anger is going to turn to bitterness. And suddenly, suddenly your bitterness is going to turn to hate. And that hate is going to lash out on someone. It's going to create division. And it's going to create conflict. And it's going to create, create a, a splitting of a body, of a church body. It's going to create broken relationships. It's going to create broken marriages. Because the sin, or the, the anger wasn't addressed. Anger, when left unchecked, will always lead to sin. We cannot allow that in our life. It's so, so huge. Jesus, Jesus teaches us one, one, one of the keys to dropping that anger in the second half of the, our Matthew 5 scripture. Can you go back to that? He says, 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and, do an, come and give your offering. We have to, keep, to, to take our anger and keep it in the light. We have to expose everything that every uh, piece, everything that, that is dividing us into the light. If you have an issue with someone else, get it out there. If you have an issue with your wife, get it out there. If you have an issue with your husband, get it out there. Well, women don't have any problem doing that. Sorry, babe. Get it out there. Don't hold it in. It's so Jesus could have been like, could have, Jesus could have came back and saw them sleeping and been like, I can't believe they fell asleep. Again, Jesus. All I gave them was one tack and they didn't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep while I'm praying. And there they did it. And then come and said, hey guys, it's time to go. But deep inside, he's thinking, stinking punks. He's so upset at them, but on the outside, he's going, come on, guys, let's go. And maybe he's passive-aggressive, and he kind of bumps Peter as he's walking by him, right? <laughs> Holding it inside him. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He gets it right out in the open. This is what you did wrong. We have to make that attempt to keep everything, that, anything that's going to cause division, anything that's going to, 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 that, that's going to make you angry, get it out there. It's better out there. It's so important that Jesus says, stop worshiping me. Stop giving your offering. Stop raising your hands. Stop putting money in the tithe basket. Now, I'm telling you, keep putting money in the tithe basket. <laughs> but Jesus is saying, no. Go and get it worked out. And you know, uh, one thing, I, I've never really put this together until I just looked at it um, this week, was he doesn't say if you have an issue with someone, if you have an issue with someone, go get it worked out. He says if you know someone has an issue with you, then you go to them and get it resolved. I, 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 again, I've read the scripture probably a hundred, hundreds if not thousands of times over my, my lifespan. I always overlook that. It's not you having a problem. If you do have a problem, you should go bring it to someone. But if you know someone has an issue with you, go and get it resolved, and then go and worship, and then go and tithe, and then go and lift your hands, and then go and sing. But God doesn't want your worship if you have anger in your heart. God doesn't want your worship if there's division in your church. Why? Because the anger of man can never lead to the righteousness of God. So get it worked out. Go and settle your beef. Go and, 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 and meet with someone. Go Take a day off of work if you have to. Because every moment that you're standing, that you're allowing that anger to sit in you, is the further you're going, going away from God. We have to follow that that. that Example that Jesus gave us. 
Bible says that to live in the light means that nothing is left unseen. Even if you have righteous anger, you need to learn to let it go. Make like Elsa. Righteous anger becomes unrighteous when it's held on to. If you look at the life of Jonah, Jonah's anger towards, towards the people of Nineveh, from, towards the Assyrians, that, his anger was righteous originally, right? They were terrorizing the people of God. He holds on to it, though, and he stops trusting that God will be the one to resolve the matter. And all he, he even lets go of God, and he starts just, all he's holding on to is anger. And suddenly his righteous anger becomes unrighteous anger, and God is punishing him for it. And even to the point that at the end of that story, God creates this, this plant that goes over his head, right? And he says, I don't want your plant. It just sits there. Doesn't tend to the plant. God's being gracious to him, saying, listen, I'm sorry that you, that's, it didn't end up like you wanted it to end up, but this was my plan. My plan is, for, is that they would be saved. My plan is that they would come to know me. He said, I don't want to know. I don't, I don't care. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. The plant dies and he gets sunburned on his head or something like that. Jesus at the temple, I think it's interesting. He's upset because the people are destroying the temple. And then immediately after that, he says, go ahead and destroy the temple. I will raise it again in three days. So, the people are desecrating the temple. They're destroying the temple. Jesus stops them from destroying his temple because he's so angry. The Bible says the zeal, his zeal for God's house was so apparent. But then immediately he says, actually, go ahead and destroy the temple because I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Now, we know now that he was talking about his body as the temple. But I think that it's interesting that right after his anger, Jesus jumps back to the point of, I know what God's doing. I know that the Father's plan is not for this earthly temple. I know that the Father has, in, in, his, in the Father's plans, there is a spiritual temple. Right? That may have been a stretch, but I'm sticking with it. Jesus trusted the Father, and so because he trusted the Father's plan, he lets it go. And we must do the same. I'm sorry, it's late. Can I just, I'm just going to finish this last point here. It'll go real quick, I okay, promise. All right? Everybody still with me? Yeah? Everybody, anybody want to go home? Oh, thank you for, for not lying. Thank you for lying. Okay. All right. Here's the deal. Letting go isn't enough for us to overcome anger. It's the first step, but it's not enough for us to overcome anger. Uh, Steve Focoretto, on Sunday, he said something really, really wise, and uh, I thought it was really, really cool, and it's something that I had been thinking about for, for all week. I actually was listening to a podcast that said something similar to it, and so I am stealing from Steve Focoretto and this podcast right now. He said in more or less words, that God's work doesn't stop in your life when you set something down. You also have to pick something up. God's work in your life doesn't stop when he sets you free from anger, when you let release your anger. 
you also have to pick something up. If you look at the Israelites, when they were, 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 were freed from their captivity, from their bondage, did God say, all right, you're good, go ahead. No, God's plan was, was to free them from their bondage and to lead them into something better. And in the same way, when we let go of our anger, there is better stuff for us to grab hold of. But if we keep our hands open, and if we don't grab onto the good stuff, our hands are free to grab that anger right up again. You have to replace what's in your hand with something that is better. If I, Peg, if I, were to, if I had a fancy coffee mug up here, it was really sharp. It had a cool CLC logo, and it was, it was real sharp. And you were holding in your hand a, a, a Mission House coffee a paper cup that had, had coffee in it for like 15 hours. And, you know, the bottom's kind of getting soggy, and it's kind of breaking down. And I said, hey, Peg, why don't you put down your coffee cup? I say this to Peg because Peg's the only one in, in uh, the world here that saves her, saves her, her, her paper uh, uh, coffee cup warm, things that keep her, what are those called, sleeves that keep your hands uh, from being too hot. She saves them and then brings them back to the coffee house. So if I, yeah, but that's just because she does our, our payroll and all that stuff and she knows how much that costs. So, so Peg, if you have this coffee cup and I have this fancy cup and you suddenly, you know, you're, uh, coffee sleep, cup sleeve that you've had for like three years is falling apart, your hand's burning up, and I say, hey, look at this really cool CLC mug. And I go and I say, do you want this CLC mug instead of that? And you say, oh, man, do I? And you set down that cup, and you just stand there and stare at me while I'm having my hand out. You, there's no benefit for you there. Yes, your hand is no longer burning. Yes, you're no longer having to deal with that you know, worrying about that, that the cup's going to spill over on you, but you don't get the good thing that I'm offering you. Setting down your anger is not just enough. You have to pick other stuff up. Paul talks about, about it in Galatians 5. He says, set aside your flesh, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, and pick up the spirit, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In Proverbs 14, 16 through 7, it says, set down foolishness and pick up wisdom. And that wisdom will lead to patience. It says in Proverbs 14, 29, don't be quick to get angry, but instead show understanding. Let go of, of, that, of that, that tendency to, to be quick to anger and instead Pick up understanding. When I was recently, before we found out we had a birth mother, Mona and I had to go to all of these um, adoption classes, and they're really scary. They, you, you, you hear all these horrifying stories about people being conned out of their money, about people, about, by a woman who wasn't actually pregnant, and you hear about you know, someone who is, is taking their money, um, the money of, of, of an adopting couple, and the whole time she's using to buy stuff so that she can end up pairing that, parenting that child, buying cribs and all that stuff to set up her own nursery, meanwhile using the money of these people who think they're getting a, getting a baby. All these horrifying stories, and... And I began to get hardened. And I remember saying to, to Mona at one point, 
I feel like I hate someone that I've never met. Because I'm in this situation. I'm in a situation where I'm putting myself out there. I'm doing everything I can to, to, to become a parent. And this person who can't, who can, you know, it happened by accident, is help, basically holding me ransom for it. And I was, I was getting angry. My heart was hardening. I was very upset about it. And I remember um, kind of praying for that to change. And there was a point then when we found out, when we found out that we had a birth mother, God started to immediately change my heart. And all of the anger and the hate that I thought I was going to have towards this person, God immediately changed it. It wasn't because I finally got my way. It was because God was working at me. Suddenly, the anger that I was feeling towards this person, it started to become compassion. And suddenly, I started to see that their situation was horrible. Suddenly, I started to see that, that, that they were a good person that was just in a bad circumstance. And as I, as I slowly let go of my anger and my hardness and all that stuff, God replaced that, and I was able to grab hold of compassion and, and, and joy and peace and kindness and patience and all that stuff. And I can honestly say now, if I am a different person than a couple weeks ago uh, when it comes to this thing. You could ask my wife. I have patience. I, I, when, my, when our social worker is telling us that we can't trust what she's saying, I'm trusting it. I, there is, God changed my heart being that, and, and I was able to, to set down what I was holding and pick up something that was better. And because of that, where I'm now, Mona and I are building a relationship with someone who I thought I hated. But it turns out we love her. We love her. That's what happens when you're able to, to, to let that down. It only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's a good one. Proverbs 19.11. Let go of your offenses and have patience. Whew. Let's say that again. Let go of your offenses and have patience. That one, that's enough said right there. You can, uh, you can write that down and just let God speak to you all, that on all that all week. Colossians 3, verse 8, 12 through 13. It's my last scripture, I promise. It says, set aside anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And instead, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. It's not just about setting it down. It's about picking it up. Set down what's unlike God. Set down what's of your flesh. Set down the anger. Set down the bitterness. Set down the, the division. Set down um, the strife and all that stuff. And start to pick up the things of the Spirit. Start to fill your hands with what God is wanting to give you. That good gift. God is sitting here offering, saying, set down the bad stuff and take what I have for you. But we have to reach out and take that. We have to recognize that God has something better for you than what you currently are holding on to. God has something better for you than that division. God has something better for you than that broken home or that broken marriage. God has something better for you, but we have to grab onto it. We cannot accomplish what God wants us to accomplish as a church if we allow anger to have a foothold in our life, if we allow division to set in. Can't, 
we can't accomplish it. We cannot worship in a way that is acceptable and pleasing to God if we have anger and bitterness in our life. Again, the anger of man cannot lead to the righteousness of God. So we as a church need to make an effort to, like Jesus, process our anger or frustrations without sinning, but by trusting God and by allowing the Spirit to replace our anger and our frustrations with patience and with compassion. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.